0: So, this should be a fun show. When and I were just screaming at each other in the kitchen on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Welcome to Hey, did you ever see that movie? I'm your 100% prepared host, Des. And as always, I'm joined by my underprepared co host, Lynn. Yippee kaye, motherfucker. And joining us again, the podcaster, who comes in with just enough information to get it done. Pat.
1: Now I have a machine gun. Ho, oh, oh, ho, oh.
0: ho. This week, we will be discussing the 1989 action movie, Die Hard. Written by Roderick Thorpe, Jeb Stewart, Stephen E. De Souza, directed by John McTiernan, starring Bruce Willis with hair, Alan Rickman with hair, Bonnie Bedelia with big hair, and Reginald Van Johnson with a bag of Twinkies. As always, this podcast will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie, go watch it, then come back and listen to this quality podcast and now it is time for another installment of Disasterpiece theater i'm gonna put all the bells and whistles in tonight so i'll be the director action
1: come out to the coast we'll get together have a few laughs
0: cut <laughs> nice job pat you're hired okay here we go how exciting And, (laughs) And now it is time For the Fast Five And I'll give you guys two choices Since I am so prepared I did two different ones for this week And I'll let you guys choose which one you would like To do We can either do Leading man categories Pick your favorite actor Or Food fight Pick your favorite food Pat, what would you like to do? Food fight Hmm Andalyn, what would you like today? Yeah, I'm down with Food Fight. Okay, I think you Magoos have picked the wrong one, but I did give you the choice, so we will go with Food Fight. Uh, Okay, number one.
2: Wow, this is fucking riveting shit. You're so prepared, I can't believe it. I'm so prepared. Well, I thought you guys were going to pick leading man.
0: Pat's Uh, a dude. Why would he pick leading leading men? It appears that I have erased the food fight document.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Such a moron.
0: Captain prepared. But I remember him, so I'll just give it to you. Okay, number one. Steak and cheese sub. (laughs) Or chicken parm sub.
1: Steak and cheese.
0: Dylan. Chicken parm. Uh, I have to go chicken parm. And I would say this in the caveat is this is going to be the best one of each of these you've ever tried. Number two, Mexican food or Chinese food. Pat. Mexican food. Dylan. Mexican. Oh, man. It's a tough one but I think I have to go with Chinese. I, I love the Chinese she, food. Of course you uh, do. And I believe that my good friend Artie would also choice the Chinese food. Um, okay, number three. Big Mac or a Whopper? Do it.
2: I've never had a Big Mac.
0: Can you fucking believe she never had a Big Mac? I put that in there just so she would have to admit that to the public. She has wow. never tried a Big Mac. Never had okay. one. Okay, so you can't give us a uh, reasonable answer. I mean, I I like
2: a Whopper, so I'll say Whopper.
0: Yeah, I think you've got that one wrong. A Whopper? What about the special sauce? No. no
1: Whopper's flame broiled. I prefer flame broiled. So, go to okay. hell. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Number 4. And this is a life a life decision. You have to choose one and it's a life decision. You cannot go back. Oh god. Ice coffee or hot coffee? Iced hot
2: coffee. coffee. Iced. Hot coffee. Iced. Hot.
1: All right, no, the right I don't answer. do I iced. Hot coffee. Never
0: have. Hot. The never, right answer is never. I Never.
2: I would never drink hot coffee if I wasn't married to you.
0: Okay. And the fifth one... Uh... Slips my uh, my mind. I can't remember what the last one was.
2: Okay, so it's the fast four on the super prepared web uh, podcast. Today. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, fast four. Um, oh my god. Okay, let's let's do the uh, since we don't have a uh, a lot going on tonight, yeah, and it is Christmas shit. Eve. Let's go ahead and do the uh, leading <laughs> man categories. What pick hell? your favorite what the fuck right <laughs> why not fuck okay. it number one the category's heartthrobs uh brad pitt or tom cruise
1: pat what was the first one brad pitt or tom cruise tom cruise
2: the Lynn. Mm, tom cruise has that tooth in the middle of his face i can't unsee it brad pitt <laughs>
0: Nah, Brad Pitt's skin is not going to hold up to Tom Cruise. So it's going to be Tom Cruise. You are incorrect. Maverick's though, the you, best. Even though you're the only woman on the fucking panel here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Patrick... We'll, l- we'll listen to your homoerotic fantasies. <laughs> it's okay.
0: <laughs> Me and Paddle, oh. I can way rather blow Tom Cruise. Oh. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Number two.
1: Action but, star. Now Brad Pitt on the other hand.
0: <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> if you change nice the if you change the parameters, he'll switch his vote.
1: Oh, absolutely, okay. yeah, no nice question.
0: Okay. <laughs> you didn't say blowjob. <laughs> okay, um, Is that number in two. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not <in> my house. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Probably the droopy nut. Okay. <laughs> Stars: <laughs> Bruce Willis or Mel Gibson? Pat. Mel Gibson. Dylan. Mel Gibson. Ah, uh, it is definitely Mel Gibson. Number three: Vigilante cop: Charles Bronson or Clint Eastwood? Pat. Eastwood. Dylan. Uh, agreed, Eastwood. No, man, Charles Bronson was pretty good. But I got to go Eastwood.
1: Eastwood just mm. had that stare. He did. He did. I think Bronson, a
0: little short.
2: If you offered me Serpico, who was that? Pacino. Um, uh, Al Pacino. Pacino. Yeah, if you would have offered me that, I would have picked that.
0: But He's he's in our next pick. Oh, okay. Gangster. My bad. <laughs> Gangster. Al Pacino or Robert all Oh, De Niro. Delin, oh, that's tough. No, it's not. It kinda is. I don't. Pacino or
2: De Niro? Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. You got, I mean, you got. No, I think. I mean, I'll, I'll take De Niro. I think you know all the yeah. I mean, it is De Niro, but now that
0: you think think about it, okay, because you've got, you've got Casino, you've got Goodfellas, but then you've got the fucking the big boy Scarface. D- d- and The Godfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm, it's a heavyweight battle, but I think you got to go, oh, I don't know. I'm going to, I don't know. Number 5 using
2: <laughs> <laughs> refusing to go on the fucking ballot.
0: <laughs> I'm not going on the record. Even though I did go on the record with a horrifying Christmas story last night, I'm not going on the record with this. Okay, um, last one, number five. Best bad guy, Willem Dafoe or Gary Oldman? Pat. Gary Oldman. Mm. Go ahead.
2: I want to say Dafoe because he's done some really amazing, like The Lighthouse. And when he did The Green Goblin, it was awesome. Um, But (laughs) Gary Oldman's Dracula, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite movies ever. So I'm going to have to go Oldman.
0: It's Gary Oldman. I mean, Defoe's amazing with that pointy face, but it's it's Gary Oldman, hundred uh, percent. As we found out on Air Force One. Um, <laughs> in retrospect, I think that we should have skipped the food fight. Okay. Dulin. Um, oh, wait, first let me give you the box office. Uh, with a budget of twenty-eight million dollars and a box office gross of one hundred and forty million dollars, this was considered a huge success. Glenn, will you please give us the synopsis if you took the time to write one down? Oh, dear God.
2: <laughs> New York City policeman John McClain is visiting his estranged wife and two daughters on Christmas Eve. He joins her at a holiday party in the headquarters of the Japanese-owned business she works for. But the festivities are interrupted by a group of terrorists who take over the exclusive high-rise and everyone in it. Very soon, McClain realizes there's no one to save the hostages but him.
0: So I opened up a um, <clears throat> a present that I got in my stocking. Yes. And it had hooked on phonics in it. And I've been doing it for about four days now. Hooked on phonics. Let's see if it paid off. Scene break. We have to. <laughs> John McLean, a detective with the New York City Police Department, arrives in Los Angeles to attempt a Christmas reunion and reconciliation with his estranged wife, Holly who is attending a party thrown by her employee, the Nakatomi Corporation, at a high-end rise Nakatomi Plaza? <gasps> McLean is met at the airport by Argyle, a limo driver charged with taking John to Holly's office. Argyle quickly deduces that McLean has come to L.A. to patch things up with Holly and offers to park the limo in the building's garage for a short time until McLean figures out his accommodation. As he enters the lobby, he finds the building staff directory is an automated computer program listing Holly under her maiden name, Gennaro. When he gets off the elevator on the 30th floor, he sees a lavish holiday party is underway. John is met by Holly's boss, Joseph Takagi. After McLean refreshes himself from the flight in Holly's corporate bathroom, they have an argument over the use of her maiden name before Holly is called away. That was pretty slick. Uh, Fun fact, I didn't really get hooked on phonics and I still can't read. Pat, what would you think of these opening scenes?
1: (laughs) Uh, You you have to like everyone except Ellis. I don't Mm -hmm. think anyone liked Ellis. Uh, Argyle was was pretty down to earth because it was his first time as a limo driver. Um, used to talking to people cause he drove a taxi and McLean doesn't want anything to do with this conversation. Why he sat up front is a moot point because you're going to get talked to whether you like it or not.
0: Yeah. He sat up front cause he's a fucking blue collar guy. He didn't even want the limo. He would have rather had Argyle pick him up in a cab. Um, so, what do you got on the opening scene? So,
2: I love the callback that you end up getting, you know, at the beginning of the movie. The guy says to him, I can tell you, don't like to fly. And he says, you know, here's my what I'm going to tell you. Take your shoes and socks off. Let you, make fists with your toes. And he does this. And that's how he ends up barefoot for the rest of the friggin' movie. But it was, like, such a cool way for, like, because you, you might say, like, why would he take his shoes off? You know, like, and it was, like, a good way to get him out of his shoes. And I liked that. And
0: it gets called back back three times in the movie. So it's a callback that just keeps giving.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And also, um, you know, he's looking through his wallet in the bathroom and sees the pictures of his daughters. You know, he's feeling down because he saw his wife's name is Gennaro. And, uh, you know, the daughter has written, like, I love you, Daddy, on the back of the picture. And it's like, it's sweet because it pulls at your heartstrings a little bit. You can tell he's... um, He's really kind of struggling with what I think seems to be like a trial separation for the two of them. I mean, she's living in L.A. and he lives in New York.
0: Right, right. Um, So, so many things you notice right off the bat with this movie. One, open carry on a plane. Okay. Oh, yeah, right. Um, Smoking in the airport. Yeah, that's the second one. And of course, fucking, you know, the stewardess just wants to fuck John McClain, this balding (laughs) fucking middle aged fucking dumpy (laughs) cop. Like, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Like he's not that charming. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Just not that charming. Um and I had a question too. So the first time we meet Holly, she's in her office and you know, she turns around and we're gonna get the look at her. her magnificent 80s hair that every girl had in the time <laughs> where you would curl it all back and high and then the bangs would go forward.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's, the... it's a magnificent perm.
0: Elle, you know, it's its She amazing. looked amazing. Yeah, she looked
2: haggard and tired
0: is what she looked like to me.
2: Well, I think the point is that she's working herself to death for this corporation. Yes. She's obviously gotten herself high enough up the ladder that she's got a secretary that sits in her office. She's got a corporate bathroom. I mean, she's this guy's right hand man, you know, as soon as he gets killed. And, you know, later on, uh, Hans Gruber says, who put you in charge? And she's like, you did when you killed my boss. So it's like, oh, she's pretty much number two in this company. And that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, I I thought the character was really good, but I did have a question. So why does she put the family picture face down um, after talking to the maid? Like, it seems like she wants to have John there. She wants to have him stay at the house. She's telling the kids, we'll see what Santa and mommy can do about having daddy come home. And then she takes a picture that presumably is upright all year long. And now she lays it down flat. Well, I don't she's, understand why. So she she's doesn't mad. know that he's coming.
2: So she's, she's mad, mad because he didn't say, yes, I'm coming. Yes, I'll be there. She is unaware of whether he's coming or not.
1: Okay. So, Makes so sense. as far as t- she knows, he's not going to make it. And she's mad because now her kids don't get to have daddy there.
0: Yes. Makes sense. So she's, so sense. she's mad.
2: So she puts else, the photo down because it's making her mad.
0: I also wanted to just... Um, Shout out the uh, rap song at the beginning of the song, uh, Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC. Great song. Because we just did the Christmas um, party show on Breaking Vinyl, and I forgot all about this, and I didn't pick it. This is one of the only Christmas songs Oh, nobody picked it? No, and it's like one of the best Christmas songs ever. As the party continues, a large moving van makes its way to the building. Two men, Carl and Theo, arrive in a car at the front entrance of the building. They divert the security guards' attention away from the trucks, then Carl guns down the guards while Theo takes over the closed circuit security field and locks down all the elevators except the service car. Terrorists led by Hans Rubba emerge from the trucks and hold the partygoers at hostage in exchange for terrorist operatives in prison. <laughs> In the confusion, McLean is able to disappear unnoticed into the building's maintenance area, but forgets to take his shoes along, leaving him barefoot. Tagowski is taken from the party to the building's conference room and learns that Goober is actually using the hostage situation to cover to steal 600 and $40 million in barrel bonds stored in the building's vault. McClane, having made his way to the room outside the conference room, is unable to stop Gruber from executing Takagi when he refuses to give him the combination. Dylan, what do you got on these things? <laughs> like,
2: just, what is that? What was Dear that God.
0: reading? <laughs> I, I think I read better when I use a um, in undescript... Uh, accent.
2: It you sound was like an um, idiot. I was no. so distracted by the accent. I was listening to that more than I was listening to what you were actually saying, which is yeah. probably not great. So I'm not sure if this is Alan Rickman's exact first movie or just like one of his first, but it's like the first big movie I think he did. I think he was kind of like doing Shakespeare and stuff in London yeah, before this. They found this.
1: him. They found it's, him on Broadway, and it's it, so good. It is his launching pad.
2: Yeah, he's so good. It is his launching pad and um it's just yeah it's funny too because you know i would see him in movies later on you know you see him in galaxy quest you see him in harry potter you see him in this that and the other thing and i never put two and two together it was the same guy until i was watching it one time and i was like oh my god that's fucking alan rickman like he almost disappeared into this role it's yeah it really really quite it, it's 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 so well done this i can't say enough
0: example i always say i love watching movies. And usually you got to do it with an indie movie. It's very hard to get this with a movie that's mainstream. But when you don't know any of the actors, like for instance with um, Rare Imports or Rare Exports last week, I didn't recognize any of the actors, none of them. So they all just were the people they were playing. And I love that. It's so easy to like, you know, buy a character. Like, you know, when you do Tom Cruise, as good of an actor as he is, after a while it's was just fucking Tom Cruise.
2: Yeah. You for, you you can't suspend your reality enough to realize like to not think that it's Tom Cruise. Yeah, it's not as much fun. You know, like but when you watch a movie like uh oh like the Blair Witch Project, like oh, you didn't yeah. know any of those people. No. So
0: that right. was that person to you, you yes. know? Yeah, or or even like Star Wars, you know, they were yeah. all new actors. You didn't know any of them. So it's just like, oh, that's Luke, that's Han. And that's why that movie was such a phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. Phenomenon. Ba, 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 ba. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You do realize that's from The
1: Muppet Show, right?
0: Of course. I hated it. Pat, what do you got? I know.
1: That's why I'm stunned that you even came out with that. Yes. Hans Gruber is, without a doubt, my favorite villain of all time. I can't really? think of...
2: more than like Darth Vader. More than
1: oh yeah, Hans Gruber just had so much class with everything he did. He just, just, just for instance, when he addresses uh, the group, ladies and gentlemen, yes, and uh, it's just, just the accent is absolutely perfect to give him just that touch of class, and he everyone thinks they're terrorists yeah and they're they're freaking thieves and yeah you don't really you don't find that out until Takagi is confronted for what he they need to get into the vault yeah you know uh, it's go ahead i was going to say uh, there were <clears throat> there were a few things that were um, as I was reading and doing research on this one of the things They had three scenes that were improv by the actors themselves. Hmm. Um, When Ellis says Hans, booby on your white knight, (laughs) that's an ad lib, and they kept that. I love it. Uh, When Theo yells out, "Eh, the quarterback is toast, that was an ad lib as well. Hmm. And I didn't, you know... you never would know that if you hadn't if you hadn't looked into the, the making of the movie because the scenes were so good because Ellis was such an obnoxious jerk. This is exactly the kind of line that he would use. Yeah.
2: Um, The scene where Al, Al Leong, he's the Asian terrorist, mm-hmm. when he eats the Mars bar. That the was, candy bar,
1: yep. That yeah, was another that was ad-lib. ad-lib. That was he, th- just,
2: he just decided to do it. They <laughs> were like, that's awesome. And we're leaving it in. And,
1: and it worked too because I remember the first time I saw it. And I'm watching him look around and then he grabs the candy bar and I'm like, no shit. He's that relaxed. He's that calm. He's like, oh shit, candy bar. So he like doesn't even care. He's about to open fire on the police department. Ooh, candy bar.
0: So I got a question. So Mr. Tataki, she talks about this a Japanese company, and you know, they're very strict. So Mr. Tataki is fine with having a fucking coked out fucking employee. But Holly's marital status is a huge problem. Like She's using that
2: as an excuse. It's an excuse.
0: I don't know. I, I don't worry. Let's take that out of it completely. I don't think that Mr. Takaki is okay with fucking Ellis being a fucking cokehead. I think this would be a problem. Oh, I'm well, sure if he knew, he fact... probably doesn't know. But he does no, he, he sees him he doing he it. He
1: Oh, he sees it? He saw it when they walked into Holly's office with John, with McLean. Yeah, and he says, has, I mean, this Ellis is... Holly's husband, the police officer.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not that it mattered. He was a little outside of his fucking jurisdiction. But I mean, still. I mean, Takaki's one in a, a tight ship there. This is not going to fly. Not going to have this How guy. How many
1: ways are you going to butcher his name? That's <laughs> like the third, like the third <laughs> version of his <laughs> name since you Mis- started this part. Mis- Mr. Miyagi? <laughs> First it was Takaki then it was Takagi, and then it was Takag. Um, It's it's,
0: it's Takagi. Takagi. That's George Takagi. Oh, Um, good God. So, did you guys... I wanted to bring something else to everyone's attention. So, a guy named Markle... uh, Markle? A guy named Michael Kamen wrote the music score for this. And it doesn't kick in until the terrorists take over Nakatomi. When they first come into the entrance um before he says the quarterback is toast this is where it kicks in full full score it's so good it reminded me of star wars a little bit it's that good and it's got the little go ahead i was just gonna say
2: part of the score was originally written for one of the aliens movies Mm. because i read this today and they didn't use it in that movie so he was like oh well I'm doing this other movie, and so they used it for this. And I don't know which part of the score, but this is the kind of level of score you're talking about. Alien.
0: You know? And it felt that way to me. It's got little fucking like the little things that like, oh, they just it went along with the scenes and built up the anticipation and the drama and then brought it down. It was whimsical. It was really good. So if you're watching the movie, pay attention when they start taking over the tower. And Talk about the tower! It's its own character in the movie, along with the score. It's really good. It's really, really good, and it's so, it's so futuristic looking while also being so dated to the '80s, which is like a oxymoron. I got that in my uh, hooked on phonics course.
2: <laughs> so Nakatomi Plaza was the headquarters of 20th Century Studios that's cool so the studio could use it because it was their own building and um there was most they were in the middle of building it obviously as you can see so that stuff is all like real they were building these floors and I guess only a couple of floors were done and they could only film at night because the noise was you know
0: bad for
2: the people trying to work in accounting or whatever you know that's awesome
0: (laughs) um so Pat We were talking about Hans Gruber and how he's one of your favorite villains. And I have to agree. He's one of my, I mean, he's not Darth Vader, but he's one of my favorite villains, but such different genres. I'm not even going to try and, you know, cross them. Um, But I wrote, he is so charming and hard to hate in this. Like, I don't like Takagi. I don't like Ellis. I love fucking Hans. And He fucking delivers these lines, like you were saying, that are just so good. Like, who said we were terrorists? And, you know, just I could talk about miniatures and men's fashion all day. He's fucking great. Um, When we first. Carl is
2: actually the bad guy to me, not Hans Gruber. Even though Hans Gruber is the leader of this group. When I think of who's the bad guy in Die Hard, I think it's Carl.
0: Well, he's the heavy. I mean, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I have to disagree. I mean, to co- I mean, uh, Hans is the only one that's executing people, like, True. point blank, that are completely defenseless, like a coward. But yeah. I, I don't care. I still love him. I'm inviting him over for Christmas. <laughs> I'm like, hey, nice job. That fucking guy, fucking Ellis, was a douche. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and in the opening scene, speaking of Ellis... Uh, so Hans is kind of going through. He's looking for who is Takagi. <laughs> and he gets right in Ellis's face. And Ellis like gives this pussy look and backs off and kind of steps back. And yeah, I like it. I mean, it's building up. Hans is a man that's not to be messed with. And he's very intelligent. He goes toe-to-toe with Takagi on an intellectual level. It's just really good. It's great. And Pat, I had a question. Did you notice? And I didn't get this from any research i just was watching the movie and the elevator doors open before the terrorists step into the party and there's somebody over hans gruber's shoulder and i went oh i know him from another movie did you notice vigo the carpathian from ghostbusters 2 was one of the terrorists
1: i did notice in the elevator it was vigo you you can't miss the size of that fucking forehead
0: Yeah, okay. Oh, God, that's awesome. You can
2: play a fucking movie on that thing.
0: McLean attempts to alert the local police by setting off a fire alarm. His attempt fails when Hans has one of his men cancel the alarm, and he is promptly discovered by Carl's brother, Tony. McLean kills Tony, taking his gun and radio. McLean places Tony's corpse in the only elevator left operational and hides on top of the car. Hans' men discover Tony in the elevator with an elf's hat on his head and a message written in Sharpie on his sweatshirt that reads, Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. While Hans angrily talks the situation over with his men, McLean writes down as many details about them as he can, including some of their names and how many voices he hears. Carl is enraged and wants to leave immediately to find McLean, but Hans stops him, saying that they need time for Theo to penetrate the outer locks of the vault, and for the police to arrive.
2: Uh, so we get the call back to the shoes because he tries to put um, the kid, the guy's shoes on, the uh, uh Carl's yeah. brother. What's his yeah. name? Uh he tries to put the shoes on and see "You're the only terrorist in the world that has smaller feet than my sister." Oh, so a
1: Great line. <laughs> great line.
2: Uh, so that's uh, that gives me a good a good chuckle because you're 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 following this up. Of course, when he gets the um the glass in his feet later, that's even more. But yeah, um, yeah, uh, Carl is. I would not want this dude mad at me. No, I, I no.
0: That man he, looks he really me. pissed. Yeah, I fucking love that
2: line. <laughs> That's called, so him.
1: It's called devastates the bar with the rifle. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I just uh, he scares me. I I find him frightening. So, yeah, no, thank you.
0: <laughs> oh God, Pat, what do you got on these open on these scenes? Um,
1: it's it's it's. Carl is just absolutely insane. Um, I think the way McLean got his recon was actually pretty clever for a New York cop. He yeah. gets on top of the elevator. He sets up a scene that's going to draw people in. Now he's hearing voices. He's seeing people. He's, and like you had said, he's making these notes on his arm. That's just smart recon. Yeah. Now now he has
0: an idea of what's going on and they're freaking clueless. Yeah. I want to know where he's getting all these colored sharpies. He's in an office building. Natural. Yeah,
1: it's not something that came to
0: mind. So Pat, I <laughs> noticed something watching this movie that I never noticed before today. So he starts off in a pristine white wife beater. And by the time he is up on the one of the other floors that's all dark, this wife beater is now green. It's dark green,
1: green not a gray.
0: spot, not a spot of white on it anywhere. And then we'll get to another scene where he is now meeting Hans Gruber and thinking Hans is one of the, or potentially thinking Hans is one of the, um, the hostages. And this thing is going to go back and forth during one scene like three times. It's going to be white and dirty with blood. Then it's going to go back to dark green. Like, dude. The continuity problems with this fucking wife beater... Like, if I never watched this for this podcast, I would have never noticed. But after noticing, I'm like, what the fuck?
1: I never noticed that either.
0: Dude, yeah. it's crazy.
2: The wardrobe department did say that they had, like, 17 different wife beaters. And you would think they'd have 17 of the same wife beater. But they said they had different weatherings. So maybe... I don't know. Maybe the continuity got a little screwed up.
0: I mean, it's crazy. Because, like... Half the movie, he is in a solid, dark green wife beater. And half the movie, he is in a white, bloodstained, dirty wife beater. It's really weird. Um, we didn't we didn't talk about um, Hans killing Takagi. And this showdown, like, this is where we realize he's not just a businessman slash terrorist slash, you know, thief. He's a cold-blooded killer. And I think the performance that the actor that plays... Uh, Takai gives in this scene is, you guys are too easy is really good I mean he's sweating his eyes are watering I mean it's a, it's a really powerful scene and I thought that all the kill shots in this movie were explosive and gooey and excellent but I just wanted to point that out that right from the get we realized that you know this guy's a killer and not someone to be trusted Yeah, he's not fucking around. Not at all. Okay. Uh, Yeah, a couple other things I had answered for me that we're going to get to that I thought were interesting. So, McLean makes it to the roof. And and I also want to talk about the reading of the show. Nobody cares. I mean, I hope nobody really cares about the reading. They're here mostly to just hear us talk about our thoughts on the movie. And this reading is just, it's a technicality. So, deal with it. McClain makes it to the roof and tries to call the LAPD. Overheard by Hans and his men, he sends Carl to the roof to hunt down McClain. While McClain argues he's not making a prank call, Carl and two of Hans's men attack, forcing McClain to retreat into the tower's ventilation system. When he emerges, he tries to get the attention of Sergeant Al Powell, who was sent on a routine check. When Marco and Henrik find him in the conference room, McLean narrowly kills them both. Initially finding nothing amiss, Powell is ready to drive off. But McLean, in a desperate move, gets his attention by throwing Marco's corpse out the window onto Powell's patrol vehicle. Another detachment of Groomer's men opens fire on Powell's car. As he reverses uh, out, uh, he uh, crashes frantically, calling for backup in his panic state. Pat, what do you got on these scenes?
1: You are insane. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's funny how McLean is watching Powell pull up, and he thinks that Powell's there to save the day, and all the gunplay. Doesn't let Powell know something's going on. And McLean can't figure it out. Mc- Christ, he's up on the 30th fucking floor. How the hell is Powell going to hear the gunfire?
0: Oh, when he says, I hope that fucking Argyle heard those
1: gunshots. Yeah. What? It's like really Argyle's in a limo with the music blaring
0: in the basement. Music? Yeah. And you you're up on music.
1: the 30th floor and you yeah. expect people to hear the gunshots.
0: Yeah. He wouldn't um, hear it if a grenade went off.
1: I know it. Uh, no, Paul Powell, Powell was was the ally that you don't expect. He's a desk guy. He's on his way back. He's, he has his interaction with the jackass at the uh, convenience store as he's getting the Twinkies. Bag it. Uh, oh, I thought you guys only ate donuts. And you just want to smack him with a donut. It's like, you stupid fat rag doll. What the yeah. hell is wrong with you?
0: Powell says, bag it. And he goes, big time.
1: <laughs> this, is, this is one of the scenes that shows how dated this movie is. Paul walks out of the convenience store. And he looks off in the distance and sees the Nakatomi Tower. And right at the edge of the screen, you see the price for the gas at the gas station. 78 cents.
0: Oh, Wow.
1: Wow. Every time I Back. see that movie and I see that scene, I'm like, oh, my God. When was the last time you saw gas at 78
0: cents? Back when Trump was president. Oh! <laughs>
2: it wasn't 78 cents, you fucking goon. <laughs> okay.
0: I'm just having fun. Okay. <clears throat> um, Dylan, what do you got on these scenes? Anything good? So
2: about Powell, there is a video on YouTube, and I won't break the whole video down because we're not here to do that. But there's a whole video on YouTube about how this same actor's character from Ghostbusters is the same character in Die Hard, is the same character in The Fresh Prince. Mm. And how... He leaves New York because of what happened with um, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and he goes to L.A., and that's where this whole thing happens. And then he's so um, like, basically traumatized by what happened to him that he enters this kind of dream world where he has this life, and it's the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Bel- and I was like, that was kind of fascinating. It was, it was I watched the whole video, so it was interesting, interesting enough. So if you guys get a second, check that out, because I thought that's that was different. It was fun. It was it was interesting because the guy like found ways to weave it together, and I was like, oh wow, that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. So
1: I can work um, with that.
2: Yeah, um, I love this when he's when they drop the body on the car and he's flying backwards. Now, goddamn it, now, and it's like, yeah,
0: so yeah. Good. I mean,
2: yeah, that would make me shit my pants too. So I hear you.
0: <laughs> so it's funny. All the years I watched this movie until today. And I, and I, I literally made a point of just saying today's the day I figure it out (laughs) and Pat's going to laugh at me. So I always knew that John McClane threw the body on the hood of the car, but I also thought that John was the one shooting at the car and it's because of a poor, um, scene cut. So we see the body hit the car. He goes into reverse and then we just see the barrel of a gun out the window firing and we see the car getting shot up. And then the next scene is John standing in the window blown out with a machine gun up as, as if he had just shot it saying, welcome to the party. And I always thought that it was John that shot the car up trying to like really uh, accentuate how desperate this was.
1: You and I have had this conversation before.
0: We have, I thought so.
1: We have, because <laughs> okay. I had to point out to you, McLean throws Marco out the window onto Powell's car. Powell freaks out, peels out, and starts making radio calls. Right. Terrorists, sorry, uh, uh, the thieves have the radio frequencies well, said for the we were, well, said
0: They we now know terrorist.
1: that Powell knows something's up. So they open fire on him. But if you watch enough of these movies, the gun shooting at Powell was a heavy caliber, like an M60. It had a tripod on it. The gun, right. the gun McLean has was an MP5. It's a shitty little 9mm slug. There's no way the gun McLean was carrying would have done the damage to that cop car. Um, okay.
0: I wouldn't put that together.
1: No, I know, but I remember you and end. I had this conversation a while back. Yeah, They just, yeah. they jumped I, it about. They went from McLean throwing the body to the terrorist shooting at the car to McLean saying, welcome to the party. And it's like, you, you could have just put one in front of the other. You didn't, you should have strung the two scenes with McLean together for it to yeah. make sense. Yeah. Throw the body yeah, out he, the window. McLean says, welcome to the party. The terrorists open fire. That or we need a
0: or we need a close-up of the terrorist actually shooting the gun. One or the other, like just right, the all monster. you're
1: seeing is from the shooter's point of view. All you see is the weapon. Correct. So it's just
0: too uh, too broad of a scene. Um, okay. Did you notice when they come in the guy that fucking that the takes over at the desk? This guy looked like Huey Lewis on steroids. Is it just? <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: It's the but, hair. It, it's the oh, hair. It was
1: the hair. And he reminded me of Randy Travis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Him I'm and you and Louis. Louis
1: is who this guy reminded me of. And he even throws in a little bit of a country accent when he's talking to Powell uh, and yeah. getting upset about the Notre Dame score.
0: I got 20 yeah. bucks
1: bet on my assholes.
0: Yeah. Um, so we didn't talk about Dick Thornburg, the uh, the fucking like reporter. So there's a great scene when we first meet him. One, when he, when he gives the fucking reporter, uh, the anchorman, some shit. And the anchorman is like, just about to go on air. And you're like, two, one, you're on air. And the guy is so butthurt and so angry at Thornburg. I love Dick Thornburg. Eat it, Harvey. Eat it, Harvey. So Thornburg is on the phone with his wife talking about how he can get um, reservations at uh, Wolfgang Puck's restaurant. And we're, we're close up on him, and it's in perfect focus. And the police scanner is out of focus. And we hear them saying, you know, shootings and explosions at Nakatomi Building. And then suddenly, the camera focuses on the police scanner, and now Dick is out of focus. And we hear some more um, of the police scanner. And, it, and at this moment, you see... Dick start to get the idea, okay, there's a big story here. And as he gets that thought, the camera goes back on him and goes into focus. And I thought this was really clever camera work. Like the way it like shifts the importance back and forth and makes you realize like what's going on in his head without saying anything. It's all done just with this camera work. And I thought it was really good. Yeah, it's incredible
2: visual storytelling because you're using the camera to say things without saying a word.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Right, because it's focusing on Dick first, and now the center of attention is the CV, so you focus on that. And now it's focused back on Dick as he realized, huge story, got to go. So the camera interplay between the two subjects made it that much more interesting.
0: Well, thank you for explaining that again for those of us wearing hockey helmets. So then in the news report, they are um, interviewing a guy that is an expert on hostage situations. And he says by now, they're experiencing the Helsinki syndrome. And the anchorman that we hate so much goes, Helsinki, uh, Helsinki, As in Finland. Sweden. As in Sweden. And And the guy goes... Uh, Finland, and it shows that the producer like just got his hand, his head in his hand. He's just shaking his head like this guy is so dumb. I loved it. I thought it was And really maybe good. you can get stayed, his job.
1: The camera stayed on 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 Harvey for a second after he was corrected, and you could see it in his face like, oh, what the fuck?"
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Dez is going for Harvey's job next.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't be hard. You should get it. it. All right, let's move on. While searching Henrik's pockets and bag, McLean finds the henchman was carrying a significant quantity of C-4 explosive and detonators. McLean taunts Gruber using Henrik's walkie-talkie. Carl reports to Hans that McLean wasn't bluffing and that their adversary took Henrik's bag, which presumably held all the detonators. With the police now convinced the emergency call was real, the situation rapidly escalates as the LAPD comes in force and surrounds the Nakatomi building with SWAT. However, Gruber is not concerned. Although the police response was somewhat sooner than he planned, thanks to McLean's interference, the police are now necessary and unwitting part of Gruber's plan. As part of that plan, Gruber contacts the police with a list of difficult demands, such as the release of various real terrorists he has no connection with and has only read about in the news to stall them. After he finishes with his bogus demands, Gruber gives Carl the order to hunt down John McClane.
2: Um... I love that the police like make this weird little um, like a perimeter like on the street. It's like you're twenty miles away. I know <laughs> it's like I'm not quite sure what you think you're doing there, but okay, guys, like I guess you get an A plus for effort. <laughs> um yeah, the he, Gruber's right. The police are fumbling around out there. He's he he's actually the smartest man in the room right now. You know, he's even technically a little smarter than John, at, at least at first, you know. Um, yeah, but all he's-
0: police presence, all police presence is just a fucking, a monkey fucking a football in this movie. Nothing. SWAT, FBI, LAPD. It's all a joke. All yeah,
1: they, they wrote it that way. It could not have, every, every part of law enforcement in this movie could not have looked more inept. Yeah. Um, yeah. From... And and I, I think I said this to Des one time we were talking about this movie. They, there are certain scenes like with the SWAT guy send in the car send in the car yeah and send in it's the like car. and and you expect to see something like brutal, and instead yes. it's this shitty little APC <laughs> with six wheels, and it's like, what the fuck is this stupid fucking car supposed to accomplish? I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that they needed to blow something up with the rocket launcher, this car never should have been doing anything. It's, I mean, it's going up the
0: stairs
1: to what? Try to go through the door? It can't get out of its
0: own way going up the stairs. (laughs) She Continue your thought.
2: Um, So in the book, because this is based on a book. And in the book, uh, it's not his wife, it's his daughter that's there. His name is not John, I think it's Joe or something like that. But
1: he, they actually,
2: yeah. And they actually are terrorists in the book. They're not thieves. So they changed that on purpose because he did not want to make a big political statement with this movie. He wanted this to be entertaining. You know, he Mm -hmm. didn't want it to be like a, a, you know, some sort of a statement made about politics etc um but he makes a pretty big statement about the way he thinks police respond to something so oh boy you know
1: (laughs) they were horrible oh god
2: yeah he doesn't paint a pretty picture of the police
0: yeah it was uh it was brutal i mean everything you know shut down the lights fucking they're shooting at the lights i mean just everything they do is just an absolute joke All right, let's break it down a little bit further. Meanwhile, the SWAT team, led by Deputy Chief Dwayne Robinson, arrives to storm the building. However, Theo monitors their movements on the security feed and alerts Gruber. McLean tries to talk the SWAT team out of walking into a trap, but Powell cannot convince Robinson or the SWAT chief. The team is repelled, the armored vehicle is disabled by a rocket launcher, and the police are outgunned. To stop the two of Gruber's men from continuing to fire rockets down on the police, McLean drops C-4 down the elevator shaft and blows out the entire floor where the terrorists are planted, giving the cops a chance to retreat. By this time, the news media are on the scene, led by sleazy reporter Richard Thornburg, as well as the FBI, led by special agents Johnson and his partner, special agent Johnson. As they make their plans to shut down Henson and his crew, Thornburg discovers who McLean really is, and that his wife lives in the area. He goes to Holly's house, and after threatening Holly's Latina housekeeper with deportation, he interviews the McLean children on live TV. So we're going to meet the two Johnsons. Uh, so did you guys notice that the white Johnson? His face looked very similar to Deadpool with the mask off. He looked like an avocado that fucked up like more angry Uglier avocado. Uglier avocado. Good God, this guy's got some bad skin.
1: Holy he's, shit. He's been in a few roles and he's his uh he does have like the worst skin.
0: Oh and these two guys are the biggest cunts. These two fucking Johnson and Johnson. And I love Dwayne no too. Yeah, like, can I get you a Tic Tac? Like, he's just... Uh, it's so good. These scenes can are I so good. Can I get you a
1: breath mint?
0: Yeah, and then when fucking John, uh, he calls down to fucking Al, and he's like, C4, he goes, yeah, he goes, well, huh? gonna need some fucking, some new doors and a shitload of windows. <laughs> what the fuck is. Some
2: screen doors. Yeah, some
0: screen doors and a shitload of windows.
2: Yeah, I really oh. like the conversations between John and and Powell, because it just gives... It gives the um, it gives the movie a little bit of heart, you know. Yes. Um, because this could very easily have just been a shoot 'em up with no real, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a little, heart. yeah, just like something like a touchstone where you feel like this is a real dude, and um, I like it. You know, Al really is
0: the um emotional center of the movie. The funny thing is, though, kind of like last week's movie, I love the two scenes between them where John says, you know, find my wife, tell her, oh, you're going to find her and tell her yourself, cowboy. And then when Al is telling John about, you know, the shooting and why he's a desk cop now. So I enjoyed these two scenes for a first viewing. But as I've seen the movie 200 times, eh, I could do without them. Kind of like last week where we had those two scenes that, you know, they're good for the movie but you know after a million views do i don't need it
2: yeah, yeah, i disagree i feel like it's just a shoot them up without that
0: yeah, that's you know, what i came the for that's what i came <laughs> for <laughs> you came for something yeah pat what do you got on the johnsons
1: they're just the third tier of the stupidity of law enforcement that's shown in this movie you start with you start with Dwayne Robinson, who's probably the most inept cop you will ever face, mm-hmm. to the SWAT team that has no fucking idea what they're doing. How, how do you try to be clandestine to approach the building with the spotlights on the fucking grass they're running across? I mean, holy shit. That was horrifying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. As a remainder of Gruber's men attempt to find John McClain and the detonators on one of the hostages, Harry Ellis, believing he can now negotiate with Hans, betrays McLean's identity, claiming they're old friends. Total lie. Gruber suddenly breaks into a conversation between Powell and McLean, telling McLean he knows who he is, and demands that his Adversary return the detonators, or else he will kill Ellis. McLean refuses to surrender the pleading with the pleading with Ellis to stop. Gruber kills Ellis to the horror of the police who have been listening in. McLean continues to keep moving through the building to learn more about Gruber's plans. McLean and Gruber accidentally meet, but Gruber gains McLean's trust by passing himself off as an escaped hostage. McClane hands Gruber his pistol and tells him to stay close while they look for a way out of the building. Gruber then contacts his henchmen while pointing the pistol at McLean. When he pulls the trigger, it clicks on an empty chamber. McLean scoffs at Gruber's attempts to kill him. Just as Gruber's men arrive, opening fire immediately and pinning McLean down in a room full of computer terminals and glass walls. Gruber suddenly gets an idea. Shoot out the glass in the room. Making it treacherous for McLean to find a way out. While he is barefoot. McLean flees anyway, dropping the bag containing the detonators. Gruber happily retrieves the bag. However, Carl is still furious that McLean escaped. Dillon, what do you got on these scenes?
2: I'd kind of like to know why Ellis doesn't just say... Yeah, that's that's uh, Holly's husband, John. Why does he say he's my friend from school? Like, why does he make up the story? I don't quite understand that. He's
0: protecting Holly. He knows that Hans would immediately kill her. Who well, who's, doesn't who's he think that she's Holly?
2: gonna? He's gonna. Yeah, like why no, would he no, protect no, Holly? No, no,
1: no. Ellis is not protecting Holly. Ellis is pretending to be John's friend so Ellis can be the hero and talk down his buddy. That's all. Ellis. <sighs> this mm. entire scene was all about Ellis being Ellis. And being the hero, he went gotcha. there thinking he could be the hero, thinking he can betray McLean, only to realize that he's dealing with killers, and making an association with McLean just made him the next victim.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it seems so weird to me because you'd think he'd be like, yeah, that's uh, that's Holly's husband, or he's the husband of somebody that works here, or something. I don't know. It just seemed a little weird, but. I guess you mm. you've got a good point there. Um, also I love the Hans Gruber American accent. Yeah. Yes. Like, he switches into that so fast and it's really good. It's believable. And there's this, the scene where he offers him the cigarette and he takes it and Alan Rickman purposely holds the cigarette in a European way. The yes. the way that Europeans hold it, not like yep. an American and that was on purpose it was so that it would kind of tip off john that this was not an american because he knows that they're european he has seen the labels on their clothing Yep. obviously and he's talked cigarettes. to Hans yeah and he's
0: a and he's a smoker, so he is yep. very familiar with how Americans smoked cigarettes,
2: yep and um you know he's seen their fake IDs he um looked at the labels on their clothing he um obviously has talked to Hans Gruber who has an accent so he has a feeling that this is like he dude dude knew dude knew like he was he had it pegged immediately, which I thought was pretty cool, which this is when it flips to me, and he's actually become smarter than Hans at this point.
0: Yes, but I had a question. So how did Hans know the name Bill Clay? His back is to the side.
1: Yeah, I've always asked that same question. How did he know to use that name? Yeah, I don't know. You see, you see McLean's eyes go to the board, but that yes. same board is on the same wall that Hans is leaning against. And there's no yeah. way he could have
0: seen it. Now, my question is, did Hans, Is he because he's very smart too, did he foresee the question coming? Because he wasn't always back to that sign. Did he right. pick a name early in the interaction? He
1: could have, because he had the accent already prepared. Yeah. Yes, he had and the story of escaping yeah. as, a, as a prisoner already prepared once he realized who he was dealing with. Yeah. I think there were too many things that gave him away, like, his, he was overacting when he started to be afraid. Oh, don't kill me. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. And I'm listening to this. I'm like, it's too much. It's way too much. Yeah. He was way too scared, way too panicky. And never mind the fact that when McLean gave him the cigarettes, he didn't think twice about what kind of cigarettes it was. Even though yeah. they yeah. were he didn't say, oh, I've never seen
2: that brand before.
1: They were European cigarettes because he got them off of Carl's brother. So yeah. yeah, these were things that I think tipped off McLean that Hans uh, was who he is and not what he was claiming to be. Right.
0: Agreed. Okay. Let's move on. A few minutes later, while hiding in a nearby men's room, McLean talks to Powell while removing a large piece of glass that's embedded in his foot. McLean asks Powell about his past. Powell reveals that he hasn't had the nerve to draw his pistol in the line of duty in several years because he shot a young boy who pointed a toy pistol at him. McLean wraps his stinky foot in his dirty tank top and tells Powell to contact Holly after the ordeal is over to let her know that he loves her. McLean sets out for the roof, curious to why Gruber was snooping around up there when he found him. The two overzealous FBI agents play their final card by shutting off the building's power while they plan a helicopter raid on the roof. However, Gruber had planned for the FBI's predictability. Disconnecting the power has shut down the final electromagnetic lock on the vault and given him access to the bonds. Okay. So Lynn, what do you got on this? I
2: love uh, Johnson and Johnson in the in the helicopter. It's just like in Nam. And what does the guy say? He wasn't even born yet, dickhead or yeah, something. Yeah, like
0: dickhead. <laughs> um, yeah, this is where the this is where the one Dwayne, I mean the one Johnson, separates himself from the other Johnson is being like a much bigger douche. Like he suggests <laughs> that twenty five percent casualties of the hostages is acceptable. Like he's gonna gun down everybody. He's just like, dude. This is going to be fun. We're going to gun everybody down. And then he says, you know, just like in Saigon, huh, Slick? I'm like, what a loser. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going.
2: It's all right.
0: <laughs> I
1: think it was, I was in junior high, dickhead. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. Always. Because like, the other guy doesn't hear him. So to to me, it's even funnier, you know? So let's see here. Uh, yeah, so I love that he is not going to just forget about the fact that gruber was up on the, the roof for a reason he has his spidey senses tingling and he's like i'm gonna check it out and he sees the the c4 and the detonators and he's he picks up pretty quickly what's gonna happen you know obviously they're looking to blow the roof um yeah. and obviously we're setting up for like the coolest shot in the entire movie when he goes off the side of the building but yeah um yeah it's like that's ridiculous but yeah uh, I get it that he thought he had to push everybody back in and nobody was paying attention so he starts firing the gun but it's like dude
1: you're you're putting a gigantic target on you I back. know it You get the CIA <laughs> in the helicopter with fucking snipers up there ready to shoot the damn terrorists and you're up there waving an M9 around like it was nothing
2: Yeah I was like oh, that seems kind of like a bad idea but all right
1: hey, Shooter shoot on the roof the yeah no
2: shit <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay <clears throat> Um a few minutes later, while hiding in a nearby men's room, McLean talks to Powell while removing a large piece of glass. I already read this scene. Yes, yeah, I did. did. I think I think <laughs> I, I was off did. to a better I think I was off to a better start this time. <laughs> I <laughs> thought it was having deja vu. McLean finds out Groomer has rigged a helicopter helipad to explode. Groomer asks for the helicopters to take them and the hostages to the airport, but it's a rouse. Grub's men force the hostages to the roof <laughs> to be killed by the explosions <laughs> so they can escape the confusion. <laughs> McLean, after fighting off Carl and falling to the warned the police of Gruber's debloculus is able to get it's the a hostages double cross. back. double-cross.
2: Wait a second. No, 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 stop. It's a double-cross. It's not a debaculus. It's a double-cross.
0: <laughs> After failing to warn the police of Groover's double-cross, is able to get the hostages back inside safely by shooting his gun. The FBI helicopter shoots at him, believing he's one of the terrorists. I don't think it would have made a difference. The helipad explodes. The helicopter is destroyed, and both Johnsons are killed. McLean escapes again by jumping from the roof with a fire hose tied around his waist. Shoots out a window of a few stories down and swings himself inside to safety.
2: Okay, best line of the movie, maybe. We're going to need more FBI guys.
0: It is because yes. I, <laughs> I wrote it down too. It's so
1: good. It's the only line that comes out of Dwayne's mouth that's actually amusing. <laughs>
0: Oh, it's so good! It's. We're uh, gonna need uh, some
1: more FBI
0: guys. I loved it. I loved it, and he'd like to be one of them for sure. Oh yeah, he wishes. Oh shit! That's what I had written on this. Needs more FBI guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is oh, one um, of the funniest it, lines in the movie.
2: Yeah. Um. So when he goes off the side of the building, here's the thing. So earlier in the movie, when he breaks the glass to throw Marco's body onto Powell's car. Yeah. It's really hard to break the glass. He has a hard time doing it. And I guess when they were shooting it, he actually broke a chair trying to break the glass. Like the chair Wait, broke almost, before the glass Let me came.
0: make one observation here too. So in that scene, after he throws the body down, he's like, welcome to the party." The hole is literally <laughs> what is like- from Boston? <laughs> the hole is like three by three, and it's like chest height. Like- what did he do? Start running with Marco's body from 20 <laughs> feet away? Like, there's no way you're getting it out that little hole and onto that car. L- lift sorry. him up, up to shoulder height and toss yeah. him through the window. Not happening.
2: Uh, I had so, then, so many
0: questions on that scene. Yeah, <laughs> so,
2: like, now, are you going to tell me way I high up with his fucking fucked up feet all bloody that he's going to break through the window? No. Like, come on.
0: Well, well we, we kind, shot we him with a gun.
1: He partially oh, yeah, he broke it with it the time. chair. No, he partially it. broke it with the chair. And that, and when he realized the chair wasn't going to do it, that's what made him think of grabbing Marco and throwing him through the window.
0: <laughs> he used his head. Because
1: the chair, the chair wasn't doing it. So let's use Marco.
0: See, but that's where I get confused. I just assumed that he blew the window out with a gun when he was shooting it out.
1: No, because he wasn't shooting it Al. We already we went over Al. this.
0: What I'm saying, that's what confused me initially when I was watching this movie. There were so many things leading to it with John shooting it out. But we digress. <laughs> Gruber is discovered from Thornburg's newscast that Holly Gennaro is McLean's wife. He holds her hostage to prevent McLean from interfering in his getaway. McLean, down to his last two bullets, is able to lull Gruber into a trap. He surrenders with his pistol taped to his back. He draws quickly, killing the last remaining henchman Eddie and shoots Gruber through the chest, who falls backwards out of the building through a window. Gruber manages to hang on to Holly's wristwatch, his weight dragging her out the window as well. McLean is able to unstrap the watch and lets Gruber fall to his death. Meanwhile, Theo is knocked unconscious by Argyle while preparing their getaway vehicle and ambulance in the parking garage. McClane and Holly leave the building together and meet Powell for the first time. How sweet. Carl bursts out of a tarp behind McClane and Holly with his assault rifle, but Powell draws and shoots him before he can harm McClane and Holly. Thornburg attempts to interview them as they are leaving the scene. Holly punches him in his dumb cunt face for the broadcasting of the interview of her kids. McClane and Holly leave in argyle's limo as the building is secured by police
2: i would like to talk about hans gruber falling off the building so they actually did drop alan rickman obviously not off a building um but they dropped him i think what 30 40 feet onto an inflatable thingy and they did the thing where they were going to do one two three and drop him but instead they went one two and dropped him so that like that look of surprise on his face is pretty genuine yeah yeah, it's a great one and they put it in the slow-mo and you can see his hair lifting and I'm just like so good the
1: look on his face the eyebrows go up the eyes go wide open and it's like holy shit he looks like he's falling yeah that was that was really good this is why you gotta love Hans Gruber you gotta love him even to the very end he was just the best villain
0: yeah so I love the scene. Obviously love Holly punching out fucking deck. It's great. Oh, it's, the best. it's the best. Um, I don't know anything else
2: you guys want to talk about. Um, so also I thought it was interesting that when, um, Reginald Vell Johnson and Bruce Willis meet for the first time on screen, it's the first time they've met. Mm. They've never met
1: at the end and of the movie.
2: At the end of the movie, because yep. all of the scenes, they have not been in a single scene together. Even though they've been talking to each other, they have not met one another.
0: Right. And
2: the actors had not met one another. And this is the first time they had met. And it's like, I, I got to be honest with you. I got a little misty with a little hugging. And then he shoots yeah. the guy. And I was like, I, I got a little.
0: Okay. I, I did.
2: Well, I mean, you've got no heart. You suck. I cry in all sorts yeah.
0: of movies, but not this one. Yeah. God, did you cry?
1: Only listening to you.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Um. Fuck. Let's uh. Let's end this. Let's end this. What okay. about the casting coach? Let's do it. I have one that's just gonna blow your minds.
1: Of course you are.
0: I would look at. that looks exhausted. The wow. limb looks. She's squinting. She's, it's over. <laughs> um. I would replace Bruce Willis with Train one her. Ryan Reynolds from the Deadpool era. Okay. I'd like that.
1: Okay. The let yeah, that's, that's acceptable.
2: <laughs> uh I would replace uh the guy that plays Carl with Dolph Lundgren.
1: That's fine. Yep. Pat. Yeah, that's good.
2: That's that's fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. Another you another stop. tall another tall beastly looking blonde European. That works. God damn. Um, No problem. I'm going to go real simple. I would replace Bruce Willis with Mel Gibson.
0: I would replace the three of us with three real podcasters. And I would replace this podcast with a different movie podcast.
1: You're not getting three to replace us. Nobody wants the job.
0: Okay. Uh, (laughs) Jesus. I don't want the job. Let's do some uh, final thoughts and rewatch scores on this bitch. Uh, I love this movie. I always have, and I always will. It is a four point nine nine. I take zero point one percent of a point off for Bruce Willis's tank top that they just couldn't get right. Fill <laughs> totally. in.
2: Uh, so it's very close to being a um, a perfect movie. Like it's so close to a a, a five, but I can't quite go there. Um, I'm gonna give it a four point five nine, just for 4- like little things. 4.59.
0: I like it. I like the score. Pat, what do you
1: got? Uh, if not for the stupid RV uh, that <laughs> the SWAT used, I'd have given it a good score, but that entire scene was just laughable, so I'm going to give it a 4.75. I okay.
0: think these scores are perfect. It's it's not a perfect movie, but it's very good. Dylan, where does that landed on the, hey, did you ever see that movie list? It
2: is a four point seven seven six 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 six. So let me see where it brings us on the list. It is at number seven. It mm. knocked Rare Exports down one. It I is think
0: now, that's good.
1: It's, uh, it. it's above good. Rare
0: Exports and right under Daddy's Home.
1: I can do. I can live with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a top ten movie. So how many yeah. movies have we done now?
2: 60-something? Uh, 60 64, maybe? How is it possible we're getting worse after
0: 64 fucking <laughs> episodes?
1: Because <laughs> we Holy did it too shit. late.
0: Oh, my God. I don't think the time had anything to do with it. Um, okay. So, uh, this week, like I had said earlier, we did the Breaking Vinyl Christmas Party. Go over and check that out. It was a lot of fun. Um, we will be back next week with Tony where we will be reviewing the 1980-something movie The Hitcher with Rutger Hauer and C. Thomas Howell. And I am very excited for this because, believe it or not, Tony, the King of Terror, has never seen this movie. Wow. So I am, like, just... My mind was blown when he said he had never seen it. So I'm so excited to do it. And I think we're going to have Dylan read this one because I don't want this episode to be a crazy train (laughs) wreck
2: Merry Christmas until next time I only have one question for you why the fuck you still listening seriously why are you fucking listening
0: nonsense bye
1: (laughs) Merry Christmas
0: Uh, make a mark there I don't want to sound stupid we'll edit that out (laughs) holy shit
2: I mean I have a feeling you've already done that that's a big fucking mark I think we'd have to redo the whole fucking podcast if you don't want to. I sound don't want stupid.
1: to sound stupid.